0: Or you know nothing about parkinson's you will want to read brian's story order your copy on amazon or visit your favorite brick and mortar bookstore to grab one are you a kindle reader audiobook listener we've got those versions as well support brian's foundation which supports those afflicted with parkinson's and pick up your copy today you can also follow me on both twitter and instagram at rick buecher a lot of places There's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. So this episode is mainly going to focus on Team USA and its confidence-restoring beatdown of Iran after losing to France in the Olympic opener, a win over the Czech Republic later this week would then seal the deal for Team USA to advance out of group play along with France into the quarterfinals. By the way, anybody else having issues signing up for Peacock TV in order to watch the men's Olympic Games live? And does anybody else feel as if they're getting bled for $5 here and $5 there to make up for the network's overpaying for rights on certain events? Look, maybe I'm just feeling salty at the moment. It's been kind of a long week. I'm hosting Speak for Yourself every day, and it's a lot more work than it might appear. But if I was in college or earlier in my career, I would have spent my time looking for a hack not to pay for access to Peacock TV or iTunes or whatever it might be. Uh, it would have been a point of pride not to give them my $5. $5. Now, one, it doesn't feel like the most efficient use of my time. And I feel guilty because I've got a few more bucks than I had back then. But there's still something that grinds my gears about being willing to give someone my money. And they make me th- jump through a bunch of virtual hoops in order to give it to them. And I missed the first couple minutes. of this. Is, <laughs> I, found, I actually found a hack to be able to watch the France game without paying for it and then I decided I wanted to watch this one the legit way and I ended up watching late. I missed the first couple minutes because it took me like 45 minutes to get them to accept an email address. Alright, enough of my complaining. What I love about watching NBA players play international basketball or any player for that matter, but especially NBA players, is that it becomes so clear who knows how to play basketball as opposed to playing NBA basketball. And you've heard me talk about it on this podcast a number of times to illustrate how different the NBA game has now become. It has become such a vehicle for entertainment. The NBA has looked for a way to continue to attract eyeballs. And I believe in large part because it realizes that fans, a large number of their fans are not actually watching games. They're watching video clips and highlights and the social media chatter that occurs as a result of those highlights. And so how do you create more highlights? Well, you make the game open so that players can use their great individual athleticism and skills to create those highlight moments, those clips. And then they go viral. And then once you figure out a way to monetize that, you've opened up a new revenue stream. Now, the flip side is when the game is played more physically, when it's more challenging to score, then you have to know how to play angles. And that's what we're seeing basically in international basketball is that the game is played more physically. And so as a result, you can't just straight line drive guys knowing that if you get touched, you're going to the free throw line. And the defender knows that if you get touched, you're going to the free throw line. So they're going to try to defend you without touching you. You know, you've got that space now, which allows you to be far more aggressive and creative in your attacking the basket. Now if you're wondering why certain star players aren't selected for Team USA or don't perform well in international competition, that's why. When you watch practices or scrimmages it becomes apparent pretty quickly. Case in point Trey Young. I saw him in Las Vegas in tryouts for the World Cup team. He wasn't bad. He just wasn't good. Marcus Smart, on the other hand, knew how to play. And I know that sounds vague as a description, and there may be some of you that are wondering, what the hell is Buker getting at when he says he knows how to play? Well, let me put it like this. If you took a couple of really good actors and gave them a subject, but no lines or script, and said, do a scene, they could and they could do a a really entertaining, interesting one. Now, there are some actors who could not. Famous, marquee, legendary actors. Actors who might be absolute stars with a script, who can cry on cue, all of that. Uh, Pluck heartstrings. Of the first group of actors though, if I said they know how to act, In the same way Smart or, for another example, Drew Holiday just know how to play basketball. That's what I'm talking about. And those players aren't necessarily stars in the NBA. They can be indispensable, ultimately, to winning a championship, but they're not necessarily stars. And vice versa. The stars aren't necessarily guys who you could just put on the stage, going back to the acting analogy, and say, make something out of nothing. Drew Holiday can make something out of of nothing. And I know, he missed a ton of shots in the finals. He was making nothing out of something uh, more times than he probably wanted to, or the Bucks wanted him to. But if you go back and take a look, a second look, at all those shots, they were good shots for the most part. They were the right shots. And I can just tell you as a coach and a teammate and a player, like when somebody's doing the right thing, whether they succeed or fail, you stick with them because you know ultimately they're going to succeed. They're doing the high percentage correct thing. They're playing the right way, as we often say. And by the way, you don't really have to go back and re-watch all the games to see my point about Holiday. By now, you, you should be willing to take my word for it someone else who knows how to play is the 36-year-old Iranian center Ahmed Hadadi. I-, I just loved watching him play in this game. It's the-, the bad knees, every time he went down, you weren't sure he was going to be able to get up. The, <laughs> the the grimacing, all of it, but the man can play. He plays at his own pace. He understands exactly how to get the matchup he wants. And the ball where he wants it so that he's creating either a shot for himself or one of his teammates his understanding of spacing on the floor was a joy to watch and maybe i'm old school for this but i like watching cerebral players over ones who are overwhelming just because of their size or speed like I'd rather watch Drew Holiday play than De'Aaron Fox. I know that's I'm probably an outlier when it comes to that, but Holiday's going to do more things that interest me uh, and that I can see the game through his eyes, maybe easier. Maybe that's it. Uh, I can relate more to how Drew Holiday plays the game. But, and not to say that De'Aaron Fox is not entertaining. Those kind of players can be entertaining, for sure. But it just all seems kind of one note And it's usually an individual display rather than a play that involves multiple players. And it's probably because I've seen enough... It seems seems an enlarged version of Peach Jam. The unspoken connection between players to do something special, to create something special, will always be far more captivating for me. It still shocks me to watch talented players as talented as, say, Devin Booker and Jason Tatum look so lost if the offense isn't running through them or they have to play read-and-react basketball. Devin Booker, in the game against Iran, was on a mission to score. I think he finished with 16, but he clearly was point hunting. That stood out because while certainly Damian Lillard and Everybody was aggressive in shooting and trying to get get buckets. There was a flow to the game. It was also, I don't know, it seemed like a dozen guys had at least a couple of assists. The ball was moving. It really wasn't Booker. Booker kind of stood out and that he was just he was looking to do what he does best. And maybe that's it. He was just he was going to his strength. I put Chris Middleton in the same category. And looking at their all-around individual skills, it's clear they're gym rats. So is it because they can't see the game? Or they've been asked to see the game and the way they're featured in the NBA, or rather, they've never been asked to see the game and the way they're featured in the NBA is ingrained now and it's too late. I suspect it's a little of both. As I said, I just watched the final of the Peach Jam, top of the line AAU tournament, and I was amazed at how physically gifted the players were, and yet how poor their grasp of team concepts were. No sense of angles, or moving off the ball, the guys who thought they had game were waving their arms, or calling for screens as if they were actually orchestrating something. The rollers turning their body the wrong way. I mean, it would have been hilarious if they clearly didn't think they were all that. It was like watching those video clips by Max Parandise and Brandon Armstrong. You might know them from their Twitter handles. I think it's Max is nice and B.A. They're the guys who mimic various NBA players and their mannerisms. Anyway, it's a question I'm going to ask a few coaches and players the next time I'm around them about the stars or the great players who have the great individual skills and yet don't seem to see the game and why that is. It's the kind of conversation Las Vegas Summer League is especially good for. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices Now, I was happy to see Team USA beat Iran 120-66 to 66 because it meant they covered the spread, which was 39.5. And, and I'm pretty sure, had they won by less than that, there would have been grumbling that this team still isn't playing up to its potential. I'm not worried about that. Without being in Japan, I would say one of the reasons I remain confident in this team's ability to find its stride and still win gold is the pride and desire they clearly have to live up to expectations. It isn't that they blew out Iran, although that was a welcome and solid statement that they took the loss to France to heart. It's the way they're interacting, both with each other and with coach Greg Popovich. There are small indicators that he has their respect and that they want to win for him, as when... Damian Lillard came off the floor. Pop stalked him to talk, and Dame put his arm around Pop's shoulders. Or when Pop was talking to the bench, and Drew Holiday had a big smile on his face. Trust me, I've been around U.S. Olympic teams before that didn't have any of that kind of body language toward the coach. Quite the opposite. Now, Pop has taken some criticism for making statements that were labeled as excuses because of their losses to Australia and Nigeria in exhibitions and then France in their first Olympic game. I've also heard criticism that he's too much of a systems coach and doesn't know how to coach stars. Well, you're going to have to pick one because they can't both be true. He made those statements about the losses to Australia, Nigeria and France in part Because he is coaching stars, and he knows what they're capable of, and he doesn't need to embarrass them publicly by calling them out. He knew, as I did, that Lillard and KD and the rest of that team didn't need to be publicly chastised for not playing hard enough or making shots down the stretch. They knew they didn't play hard enough. They know they didn't make enough shots down the stretch. Now a system coach, a coach who didn't know how to handle stars, because that's kind of basically the same thing. System coaches, I'm putting everybody, you're going to play the way I think we should play. And I've been around a few of those, both in the NBA and elsewhere. They're interesting, and I understand why they do what they do, because it's usually they don't have stars. They don't have that caliber of a player, so their system makes players better if They stay within the system. But a system coach, a coach who didn't know how to handle stars, would have grandstanded and pounded the table with his fist about that loss to France or Nigeria or Australia. And the fans and probably a number of media members who were disturbed by those losses would have loved it. They would have eaten it up. And the players would have hated it. Maybe even resented it. They would have seen it as winning the press conference at their expense. And maybe, just maybe, they would not have played for him the same way as a result. Besides, Pop is humble enough to know that he's still trying to figure out this team himself. The rotations, the right combinations for the right situations, who can do what, how the personalities mesh, and the players know that he's still trying to figure it out. And they're okay with it because... If he's not calling himself out and he's not calling them out then it's all good they're all learning together one look at the starting lineup against iran will tell you that he's still trying to figure it out he started devin booker kd drew holiday bam Adebayo, bio and lillard so by my count without question three guards and kd i guess is four and bam out of bio is five i mean that's that's small ball taken to a hilt. KD Lillard and Adebayo started against France, but Booker and Holiday replaced Draymond Green and Zach Levine. Now, I can't imagine Booker actually taking that spot over Levine, but if there was a time for Pop to get a look at Booker, this was it. Anyway, he can't possibly point out that the players... Uh, have a learning curve unless he acknowledges his own and with the media covering the team already taking shots at pop my guess is he's not in the mood to give them ammo of his own making the iran game by the way doesn't mean team usa has solved all of its problems The Iranian bigs, led by Haddadi, were still pretty effective. Haddadi had 14 points on 5 of 7 shooting and 7 rebounds. Iran's problem is they only played one big at a time, where France went with two bigs that allowed them to play high-low post-action that Team USA really didn't have an answer for. And the biggest change was pretty simple. Team USA's world-class shooters showed why they're world-class. Lollard was 7 for 13 from deep for a team-high 21 points. Zach Levine was 2-for-4 on threes and 5-for-5 on free throws for an uber-efficient 13 off the bench. Overall, Team USA shot nearly 50% from downtown, making 19 of 39 threes. I don't know if it's realistic to think that they can shoot like that every night, but when they do, they are going to be impossible to beat. That's where the trading twos by bigs for threes, by an array of shooters, simply won't compute. One other item I wanted to share before I go, since it relates to the subject of my podcast yesterday, is that I heard earlier that the fight over Kyle Kyle Lowry is now between the Mavericks and the Pelicans. The Mavs are currently over the cap, but they have a way of getting to where they need to be to give Lowry his asking price of $30 million as a free agent. I don't think they're so down on Kristaps Porzingis that they'd flip him in a sign-and-trade and they'd have to give up too many other pieces to make a sign-and-trade work otherwise. But there's a way that they can get there where they would be capable of signing him as a free agent. It would mean letting JJ Redick go but I get the sense that they are ready to do that. Certainly JJ is. Now, I'd love to see Lowry in Dallas. I don't have anything against New Orleans, but if he's in Dallas, it means he's still willing to play meaningful basketball, and I think he still has some meaningful basketball left to play. I could also see him fitting very well next to Luka Doncic, diversifying the Mavs offense by being able to run it and allow Luka to get a breather off the ball, and yet still being a threat as a spot-up shooter when Luka is cooking. The Dallas Mavericks being around in the playoffs for more than one round would be welcome, if for no other reason than I'd like to see Doncic make good on all the hype he's getting. I think he's a terrific player, one of the cerebral types who just knows how to play, I was referring to, referring to earlier. And my guess is he's been that way since he was 15. But the desire by some in the NBA media right now to get him up on the throne as quickly as they can is fascinating. He started out last season as the preseason favorite to be MVP. Based on what? I'm not sure. For anyone listening, I dissuaded you of betting on that pretty quickly. Now, the conversation is all about how soon he will be the face of the league. I'm not betting on him jumping the line on Giannis anytime soon, not if we're going to consider the impact of a player on both ends of the floor. But, certainly, seeing more of Doncic and seeing more of him in postseason play would be a gift for all of us. Finally, for those wondering why I haven't done much on the upcoming draft, it's because for the last several years, I've decided not to pretend I have some special insight on the players about to be drafted. Because I don't. I don't see enough of them in college and... I have not been talking on a regular basis to the scouts who have. I prefer to wait to see them in summer league versus competition that pretty quickly erases the physical advantage most of them have had for most of their lives and takes away the college system that featured them. Summer league conditions, in other words, are perfect to find out which guys just know how to play. All right. That does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We have moved up into the top 10 of basketball podcasts. I know I probably mentioned this last podcast or the episode before, but it is very much appreciated to see this podcast moving up the charts. That is because of you. Uh, my listeners, my loyal listeners. And I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate it because the higher we are on the the rankings, the more people are going to find this podcast and it makes the work that I'm putting into it worthwhile. So enough on that. In the next podcast, I believe I'm finally going to get to that Bucks subject that I've been talking about in terms of the Bucks not being the outlier as a champion that people may have taken them to be based on some of the comments that Giannis Antetokounmpo made in the, uh, or after the finals, in the press conference after the finals. That, quite possibly, in the next episode. We shall see. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.